Welcome back, guys, to the Bear and Scully podcast with me, Sean Scullion, a.k.a. Scully. Old man, a.k.a. the Bear, in the face for radio behind the scenes. And today we're joined with Michelle Duffy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Michelle, thanks very much for coming on. I know you never pictured yourself here in <laughs> a million years, but we really appreciate it. But before we get into it, and as people have come to expect with our show, sometimes we cover very deep issues. We're going to go into sexual abuse, children, sexual abuse, trauma. So for some people, this may be very triggering. Mm-hmm. We are going to include a lot of the help links in below. But what I would say is, guys, just if this is a troubling issue, take care of yourself. Watch with caution and we're going to get into it. So, Michelle, I've sort of preluded to it, but there's a long story, a very complex trauma and mm-hmm. a lot. But before we get into that, we're going to find out where you're from and then we'll, we'll move on and, and ask. And, and I know sometimes when I ask people like that, that's like I'm taking you to your childhood straight away. Mm-hmm. And so some people, it's not a good place to go straight away, but it's maybe the best place for us to, 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 to start and find out where you're from. Okay. So... My name is Michelle Duffy, obviously. I am born and bred in Belfast, as you can probably tell from the accent. Um, I grew up around the Cliftonville area. Um, And I'm here today as a complex trauma survivor. So what that means for some people who don't know is that I have had prolonged and multiple types of trauma and abuse, such as physical, emotional, neglect and sexual abuse um, over the years. I don't know where we start there. And and I suppose at the very start, the, the first traumatic and, and how that all came about, and how this was, we will get into this and how this was all allowed to happen. But when you grow up, what is your earliest memory there? So... <laughs> With anyone who has experienced multiple traumas, uh, just to put it out there, so it is very normal to have lots of fragmented memories or gaps in memories um, just because of dissociation or repeated dissociation. And just for anyone who doesn't know, dissociation is something that children and young people do. So when you're a child and you're stuck in a situation that's quite scary, you can't escape. Um, And the only option you have is to go away in your mind and numb out and go somewhere else in your head so doing that repeatedly means there may be memory gaps so whilst some of the memories might be all over the place I know from social services reports and things a lot of the timeline so for me um, I suppose it began from what I can remember when I was age four of being sexually abused well sorry raped so let's just call it what it is rape Because I think sometimes when we say sexual abuse, not that that sounds nice, but, you know, kind of fluffs it up a bit or makes it a bit easier for people to hear. But it's rape and it's not nice. So at age four, I was raped by someone known to the family. Now, I didn't disclose until I was seven. And my memories around that were this was a man who was quite prolific child abuser in the community I wasn't the only one um, but he was quite violent so I remember him being quite violent and coming in with a knife um, at age four and kind of ripping the nighty off I don't really remember much after that because I've probably frozen out and dissociated but what I do remember is lying in bed and obviously my mum had an addiction to alcohol 
So the record player would have been playing, and I don't know, well, you probably are old enough to remember the record players. So music would have just kept playing. And it kept playing on loop, you know, that Elvis song, You're Always On My Mind. And I remember lying there thinking, is it safe to move? Because I was terrified to move. And for years I couldn't listen to that song because it was just so triggering. I don't remember too much after that. I just know I was sick and I have actually a photograph in the house of me, age four. And I remember the next day being taken to get this Kermit the Frog. And there's a picture of me in the house, you know, and these wee tiny hands, you know, sitting with this Kermit the Frog and this wee sad face. And when I look at it now, I just think, my God, you know. That poor child, how could someone do that? Because when I think of myself, I don't see myself as that small because I'm an adult now. But that picture for me, when I look at that, it's always horrifying. So I'm probably a wee bit all over the place here. I remember telling when I was seven. So I told in school. And I think before that, in my behaviour, it was quite evident. Um, Reports from school of me banging my head on walls running away from school, hiding under coats, um, soiling myself in class because obviously I was just so distressed. Um, And I was taken with a well-known charity. I remember getting into a room and having these dolls and having to show parts. Um, I don't know if anything happened to the man at the time in relation to me, but I know he did go to prison eventually. But as I say, he was a prolific child abuser um, and had abused a lot of people in the community. Um, so I feel like I'm lost here. No, no you're <laughs> fine, you're fine. You know, Michelle, I don't even know what to say when you said that. Like, it, it, it hit me for six, yeah. four years of age. I, I can't, I, I'm, and I'm sorry to people that's listening, I'm, I'm struggling so much. The the, the, the the thought of this and you're having these memories from four how how did this person come to be in in your mum had an addiction to alcohol mm-hmm. was your father about it at this time my father also had an addiction to alcohol so my dad was quite violent towards my mum there was a lot of domestic and physical abuse going on in the house So he would have been in and out of the house. Um, So I don't think he was around at that time. They had a very on and off relationship, very toxic relationship for years. Um, My other siblings would have been in the house at the time. But no, I don't think my dad was around at that time. So the house was more accessible. They were drinking, they weren't. Just people were coming and going. Yeah. Is that? Is yeah. Okay. And the thing, you know, that gets me is this man was known to be a child abuser, but still let to be in the house. Um, what age was your siblings? So I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest of eight. Um, so we're all steps and stirs. Um, my brother next to me would have been a year younger and then a sister a year younger than him, so all steps and stairs. And I think there would have been a baby in the house at the time as well. And there's a, a, someone known to be a prolific sex offender in the house. Yeah. Did you did you know at that time that you couldn't speak to your mum about it? And is that why you spoke to somebody in the school? 
I think I didn't really understand what had happened. And I think because the knife in the room and the violence of the attack just had me terrified. I mean, at the age of four, you wouldn't have had the words to explain that or what happened. Um, So I don't think I understood. I think it came out more in my behaviour. So as I say, I was first abused, sorry, raped at age four. Then I was raped again somewhere in between six and seven by a different perpetrator, also known to the family. Um, So I think it may have come out alongside that. And what what exactly happened then when have you said this to... Who was it in the school that you discussed it with? A teacher. With a teacher? So the teacher went and brought that to who? Probably whoever the safeguard was or whatever the protocol was at the time. Um, I do know social services come out to the house at the time. I went with a charity, and this is in the media anyway, the NSPCC. They used to have a facility for children and young people who were impacted by sexual violence. Um, And as I say, there was like, I remember a two-way mirror. So they used to bring you in and do play therapy and these dolls were parts and they used to ask you to show what had happened to you. So I remember those bits, obviously, because I was quite young. I can't remember every detail. But all I know is it didn't stop. Someone came and took me out once a week, you know, and social services were involved in the house, but these things were still happening. Well, Michelle, just... Just so I can understand this, because I don't know whether it's my ignorance or thing. I just, when you said that, it just made me curl inside a four-year-old, your your baby. I didn't even know how that's possible. I don't even want to think of that. But what I wanted to say, we're asking these things, and these are obviously things that you've been known afterwards because there's been reports. Mm -hmm. Was there a record of that, of you? As a child, telling someone that, mm-hmm. so so there has been alerts to people in positions that should be fit to protect you at this point. Yeah, has your mother been brought in and, and notified of this? Yes, um, my mom knew about all. So I was um, raped by four people. So age four was the first time I was raped, and by the age twelve, I was raped by four different men all known to the family and my mum and services were aware of all of them. I'm sorry because I'm not equipped well so I'm going to ask these questions and I don't want them to be insensitive because I I want from this from people to know that you know what's happening and you know I, I find my trust is withered I can't you know I can't trust anyone from what I hear because these are all people known to your family. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take it one by one because I know we're asking you and it's all over the place. And and it must have been like a self-protection thing where you had no physical escape, you have to mentally escape. So we're asking you things that about details. And it's not that we want, it's not that we're comfortable to ask these, but we just, Mm -hmm. we want to get an idea of the whole. So this happened. Mm -hmm. You, you, NSPCC had been involved. Mm-hmm. Your teacher had been involved. They're told a four-year-old child has come forward and told them they've been raped. How 
you're not you won't know this but was there legal action at this time did the police come in did did, did this progress do we know any of this i know that i had a medical um which was very distressing at the age seven um that they do but obviously because it happens at age four i don't know the ins and outs of that um because there's a whole lot of blanks in the notes but i remember being distressed during that medical and feeling pretty traumatised again, you know, because it's quite invasive and being only seven and having to go through that is tough. So there was medical, but I think the thing people don't understand around sexual abuse, rape and all of that is it is very, very rare for it to ever go to court or you know, to go anywhere. The police will come out because it's one of those things, it's your word against theirs. And with sexual abuse, you know, there's a timeline. So at age four, I didn't come forward till seven. And yes, it was still going on, but it can be very hard to get medical evidence around that. And when you're that young age as well, you're deemed as not being fit to maybe give evidence. Um, so I work with lots of young people as well and, you know, their stuff never goes to court. And I think I said here earlier, you know, last year there was like 4,232 reported offences of sexual violence of some sort. Only 1,904, now don't get me over those exact yeah. figures, ever went to the PPS so already there's a big disparity there, but only 540 ever went to court for it's conviction. Is this is this children or in all? That's in general, in general. So 10% of, of reported cases yeah. end up in conviction. Yeah. And that's got better. Years ago, it was really, really rare for it ever to go anywhere. Well, we, we, we know this draconian system, it favours, I don't care, and I've said this to someone who's like, how? And it favours the perpetrator, not the victim. Like, yeah. it, it, it is. But I cannot compute that when a child comes forward and says these things. Now, I know children can say things, but, but if they, they say that, that sort of thing yeah. to any current half sensible adult, that there is all sorts of alarm bells going off. Yeah. How can that be allowed to happen? I know, how many years ago are we Are we talking? So I'm 45 now. Um, 41 years ago. Yeah. So, and, but you were, so 38 years ago, you were seven. Yeah. But even, even at seven years of age, you were saying about no legal action was taking place. In my head, a child at seven years old, I have a young girl. I would like to think if my young mm -hmm. girl or any young girl or any young boy, whoever it is, at seven years of age, goes and says to a teacher, somebody in trust or whatever it is, and says, this is what's been happening, yeah. that social services just rush in and that remove them from that household yeah. or remove them out of that situation. But it doesn't sound like that was the case. No, no. And it wasn't at all. And it's not that they didn't believe. Everybody believed that this was happening. You know, teachers professionals believe but it's that innocent until proven guilty and you know my mum as well because of her addictions and she had a lot of her own trauma as well 
you know, but I'll, I'll not get into that. But she had a lot of stuff in her past too, and I just don't think she had the capacity. But she was a scary woman at the same time. And I remember social workers coming up the path and she'd have been out, you know, shouting and giving off. And the social worker would have ran back down the path. So I think there was a bit of fear around it because it isn't protected as it is now. And I am a social worker, a trained social worker and children's therapist. You know, if we go to doors now, we have the police coming alongside us. But it wasn't like that in those days. So I think the social workers were terrified. And I used to be thinking, you know, she's running off because she's afraid. But we're left here. We're left here. And we're only kids. And, you know, if you're afraid, how do you think we feel? But that's a massive feeling in itself. That there's a person there to come and they're scurrying up the street where they should have been doing whatever they have to do to protect you because that's their job. Yeah. Like, it baffles me to think that that's the way that that was. But at the same time, I don't want to paint the picture that if there's anybody in that situation, they shouldn't talk to somebody or they shouldn't go because that's the way it's going to be. I'm hoping that things have changed from them and have got better. Things have definitely changed and it's not the way it was then. And I think because more people are coming forward and the system failings have been highlighted, you know, it is changing. BBP and and high profile yeah. cases like this, there was a massive overhaul in the system for the social services. Yeah. Yeah. There there has been a massive mindset change too. Social services back then seemed like meddlers mm-hmm. when they're yeah. lifelines to people. I know people yeah. think that. And the only people that really think that is the ones that are abusing or, or protecting abusers. Yeah. Social services are there for children's welfare. They're the welfare. So the feelings that went on, the angry, but the, back then it wasn't uncommon. Like the, no. we're, maybe Pete, we're, we're talking about 12, 13 years ago, there was a massive overhaul when like the, yeah. the head of the services were pulled in in front of yeah. MPs and asked for yeah. how can these feelings happen and how can these situations yeah. happen. So th- they happened and they happened yeah. regularly, but there's repeated feelings for you. And the, the, the one thing then as we go on, you, you know, you were saying there you're, because of your mum, but yeah that that there's a reason we'll get into the relationship of, mm-hmm. of that after but at seven then you're you're becoming a wee bit older mm-hmm. yeah i know i'm saying seven you're coming older I, what yeah. i'm saying is you you've you've already experienced this trauma before what way did that what way did that develop for you as a child with your behavior and how you how did you get on in school and how did that all fact after that Well, I've touched a wee bit on, so there's reports in schools. I have lots of blanks in my memory, so I have dissociative amnesia. And that is in relation to not being able to escape the horrifying things that were happening in my house. And it wasn't just the rapes and sexual abuse that was going on. It was lots of other things as well. So I had no option but to disappear somewhere to get away from what was actually happening. And when it's happening in your home, a place that is supposed to be safe by people who are supposed to be looking after you, then as a child, you can't think, these people looking after me are dangerous and I'm not safe. So in order to allow yourself to be in that house and in that situation, you have to separate So you dissociate parts that are being hurt away from the parts that have to engage with those people 
looking after you who are doing you harm. So there is those blanks there and the memory is all over the place and I've had to kind of come to terms with that. You know, my siblings would know more about what's happened to me. Like there's reports professionals would know more than what maybe I know about myself. And that's quite common and people who have experienced what I have experienced. But people are afraid to say it because then if they say, well, I can't remember, people will discredit them in some way. But... You know, it's science. <laughs> There's loads of theory. I know, I know what you're saying, that the, the people here, the manipulators, the, the abusers, mm-hmm. they're using your lack of memory. Yeah. Not that the fact that they traumatize their victim that much that they've literally, to protect their own sanity, mm-hmm. they have closed that off. Yeah. But then this happened again at seven. And then did anything change after this? No. No, I was abused and raped right up till I was 16. Well, tell me this, right, and we're going to move to that, but not only sexual abuse, but mm-hmm. to ask, there's neglect, they're not looking after you. Was there any, lo- did you ever have any nice memories in, in, in there? Was this, like, it's, it's just like, your mum, what what was the what did she ever speak to you about this and, and yes well my mom died through suicide in two thousand and seven so she took an overdose and it was ten days before she passed away I hadn't spoke to my mom for two years before this had happened because of everything that had went on obviously I was very angry and rightly so I couldn't understand why this was allowed to happen. And she woke up the day before she died. Me and another sister were sitting at the hospital bed. And she grabbed my hand and said, oh, it's going to make me cry. (laughs) That I'm really, really sorry that this happened to you. None of it's your fault. And I'm sorry I didn't protect you. Do you know that? I need you to know that. So I think that she knew that she was going to pass and that was the first time that she had ever acknowledged or said sorry it seems so little so late but I know that would have meant to you and and it's a lot that you've had to deal with come to terms with them that saying and as a kid and we know this from children they blame so much Sorry. No, and don't be. You know one thing: never say sorry for showing emotion. It's not. It's nothing to be sorry about. We'll set these down here. For you hearing that, I, what what did that mean to you? Everything, because before then I thought she doesn't care. You know, she cares more about these people who had abused me, particularly the last one, um, because he admitted it to her, that he had done it to her and an aunt in the family, and they stood by him. And I could never understand it, and I thought, does she not love me that much? That, you know, because as a mother myself, I couldn't understand, because I would walk over hot coals for my kids so I couldn't understand it. And to hear her say that, 
just validated in some way for some people for me it it's just at the moment of listening to all the things that she's allowed there's an anger there and i'd be like that's fucking too little too late you should have showed up when that four-year-old was crying out you should have been there and i'm not taking away from that because i know <coughs> you've had to live a life of 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 all these things and a child being held prisoner and you need someone to know that you know yeah. it was their fault and it wasn't your fault and and to some people that that just that bit of peace helps the healing but there and some people would say how's this happen how these people suss out vulnerable people yeah positions like this some yeah. people are like how can people be victims of multiple because these people were now <clears throat> actively seeking out yeah vulnerable situations vulnerable children and you were obviously yeah. that and this was a house where you had people coming and going kids left on their own, no adults around, fending for ourselves, basically. And there would have been parties every night, people getting drunk out of their minds. So my mum probably didn't know half the time what was going on around her because she was drunk out of it. And the same, you know, for my dad. So these people knew, you know, this is a household where, you know, we're going to get away with this because there's nobody looking after these kids. There's nobody watching out. And as I say, my mom was a really vulnerable woman as well. And I want to say, you know, and it's taken me lots of therapy and lots of work on myself to get to this point because I was angry. I'm still angry. But a mother is the first attachment that you have when you come into this world and you depend on them. So when you come in, you are born to attach to that person. And it's not an easy thing to separate from. And people don't understand. I still love my mum because she's my mum and she wasn't all bad. But I don't like the things that she's done and I don't forgive the things she's done. But I still love her and people find that hard to understand. But you can have both because not everybody is all bad or all one thing. And you know what, that... And I, I, I don't come entirely get it, but I know what you're saying. And, and you know, that nobody can tell you how things are supposed to be. Yeah. And it's just sometimes for us, when we hear this one off, we get angry and we're like, yeah. and I'm going to tell you this. My honest feeling straight away was anger towards your mum because it was the person that was to protect you. Didn't. And I'm not saying, and I, I, I you're right, if you've, you have love, but you know that that's, and, yeah. and people listening will have straight away anger, but that's your complex relationship yeah. with your mother and none of us are, are fit to judge or, or, or yeah. I just sometimes respond and I don't respond well because I, I hear this wee yeah. child and I hear these stories and I want to reach in and, and I get angry. So I, I start to look for who, and that's, this is what happens, but yeah. it's not one of those situations. So yeah. But it 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 did continue on, but yeah, and but it wasn't just we're we're talking that these are very serious sexual abuse, but we're talking neglect, like yeah. not being cared for, yeah. proper food, clothing, you know. Yeah. And you can see now, you know, my teeth, and it's something I'm really embarrassed about. But we had never had our teeth brushed. And like I've teeth and all missing and it's something that's embarrassing and you're going to the dentist 
And you're thinking, oh God, what are they thinking? Are they thinking I'm this dirty clout that hasn't, you know, looked after my teeth? But it comes from growing up in a household of neglect. But even the shame around that, you know, because that's always there, your teeth and your smile. Um, But it's from neglect. And then, you know, that, that what way did that transition? You're moving into teenager. You've been a victim of these. How... Or you and your siblings? Mm-hmm. Are you worried for your siblings here? This house is, you know, yeah. and and the things that's going on. And I, I'm not sure. Maybe you don't want to talk about that. But like, had they experienced similar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have as well. Not all my siblings. It's the older ones. Um, obviously experienced all these things as well. And I basically raised my siblings from no age. I remember, I don't know what age I was, but I remember my mum must have been off on one of her binges. My mum and dad off on their binges. And they could have been away for days. And I remember being hungry. And, you know, my little brother, who's no longer with us, um, being hungry and having to climb up on this stool to try and get into the cupboard and having dry cornflakes because that's all we could find. So I raised them. It was me that was with them every day. And, you know, I would have run away from home a lot of the time. Um, You know, I say to people, you you probably don't know because you're from up this direction, but the new large flats, the big tall flats, that's where I used to run away to because they had a rubbish chute Now, there was no window in it. It was open, but it was somewhere with a roof over the head. And I had a younger sibling who used to obviously follow me and she had run away with me. But, you know, you'd have been away for a couple of hours and then you'd be set afraid of, because obviously there was a few dodgy characters around there, of going, you know, I'm better going back to what I know because I don't feel safe here either. There was no escape for, for you as children? No. The cycle just continued. No, no. And I don't know if I should say this, but I think it's important because a lot of young people I work with and with sexual abuse and rape, especially when it's within the family, there's a lot of shame around it. So sometimes when you're a kid in my situation and you have no control over your life, you know, the abuse is going to happen whether you want it to or not every day. Every single day, there wasn't a day that it didn't happen. So in order to have some sense of control over that, me and one of my siblings would have went and went, let's go to him now and get this over and done with. And I know there's a lot of shame around that, but it was the only way we could control because you'd have been lying there in your bed. I still actually can't sleep with any light at all in a landing because if a door opens... Or I see any light, it reminds me of someone coming into my room and I can't cope with it. So instead of us lying there for hours going, oh my God, he's going to come or when's he coming, listening for every creak on the landing, it was better for us at that time to go, we'll go to him and get this over with and then you could go to sleep. I, and that's I can't family. comprehend, you know, can't, I can't, mind can't, I know exactly what you're saying and I know that's a coping mechanism. You know, it's it's like, right, if this is over and done with, 
But yeah. for me, listening to that, I can't. My yeah. mind's struggling till. But I am. Awful. But I am glad that you've had the courage to say that because mm-hmm. there will be so many other people that that situation yeah. happened, and to say that I went, you didn't go. You've been that abused and that twisted mm-hmm. that this is the way this was created. But that would be hard for people afterwards to have that courage to say that, you know, you didn't, you didn't perpetrate any of this. You didn't create this situation, but this has become a more survival. And that's really where we're at now, that to to protect yourself and to survive. Like that's the level of abuse we're now at. And it's very indicated. So like for some people, it's, it's so hard for us to, it's, so twisted, but I understand the logic. It's so mm-hmm. twisted, but I get it. But it's a reality for lots, yeah. lots of people where this is happening in their homes. Yeah, and 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 like the, you 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 beat down that far. Let's get the abuse out of the road. Let's get the physical side out of the road. You know, and and it's 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 so sick and it's really hard. But a lot of people yeah. will never. So, some people when they come forward and they tell things, sometimes they tell it awful things but sometimes there's certain wee things they just never because they just were like I don't want to say that or I don't want to and well a lot of people are going to be like that was the same for me yeah and I want to take the shame away from that because there is no shame as you say you know you're groomed and the abuse is happening every day and you hear people saying about emotional abuse or people in domestic violent relationships and sometimes, you know, getting hit is nearly easier than taking the emotional abuse. So lying there for hours on end, terrified sitting in that, you know, if you can imagine. And I do a training thing with professionals trying to get them into the mindset of the child with balloons and blindfolding them with pins and going up and saying, I'm going to burst someone's balloon. I don't actually do it, but walking up behind them to get them into that. And you're holding that in your body, that terrified state. And for me, that was much worse than actually going and just getting it over with, because then there was a bit of relief. And then at what age did you confront this and and say... That this was happening at this at this point, and I know we we have one yeah. social services and teachers at this point, but as a young person, you've learned that even speaking out is not helping. Yeah. So, what age at this point did you come forward as you got older? So there there was another point. So I'll have to go back at around age sixteen. Um, one of my sister's diaries was found detailing um, horrific abuse by someone else in the family. And I can't get into what that relationship is because um, it would identify the person. Um, and that was taken to the police. It got as far as court. And that included lots of my siblings, including my brother, who isn't here anymore. Um, so it had went to court, went to Garneville, did the whole police interview. But I was thought to be the strongest witness at that point. Um, and I remember having to go into this room, a really narrow, narrow room, like probably half of this table to the back of there, really small and faced in front of four men in suits and told to tell in detail about what had happened to me. Now, bear in mind, I had 
been abused by four males in my life and now suddenly I was sat in front of these four males in suits and asked to explain in detail. I crumbled. I couldn't do it. And they threw the court case out and I was told, told by police as well that it was my fault that this didn't go to court. It was my fault that he got away with this. Um, now, criminal compensation money was paid out to my siblings. Not that that makes up for anything. So they were believed, but it was through out of court on the basis that I couldn't sit in front of these four men and tell in graphic detail. Now, they were about this away from me. I just felt intimidated. It, it, now, first and foremost, I can't, you know, for a police officer to, to tell a child that they're to blame for this is absolutely disgusting. The shortfalls in our legal system is to blame for these people mm -hmm. getting away. And for anybody to turn around and tell you that, it's disgusting. Because the people say words in these situations and do things and they don't realise the lasting effect that this can have. Now, I understand frustration in people when they want to convict these people. And, and I and get that's that. that's what it was, frustration. But, but then they should have done a better job. They should have had females dealing with a young female. But back then, it wasn't. It look, we 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 have covered extensively, and we covered with Haley too. Mm -hmm. the, the the legal systems, the 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 draconian, the the, the way it's set up, <coughs> and how it comes about. It's 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 not a you people think, and this is the problem. Right, I'm going to say this about sex abuse, and I'm very much that person. Yeah, I bury my head in the sand. I don't want to hear bad stories. I never used to take this on. So I didn't know how it worked. I didn't know how these things happen. Yeah. But here's the realities of our system. It's outdated. Yeah. They don't know how to speak to children. They don't know how to, to comfort uh, victims. Yeah. They not only, yeah, they needed you as a witness, but they need to support you. Mm -hmm. They needed to offer support. You're, you, you are a victim in this. Yeah. So for them to hinge that on that, and this is the problem. We now know, they know, mm -hmm. everyone knows this person done this. You don't pay compensation to people that are, that are tantalized. And, and yeah. I'm not because I have no point, I believe it. But everyone knows it. But the system's failed again. And this is time yeah. and time and time again. And obviously yeah. now, from what you've discussed and people will have obviously picked up on it, you've obviously studied this in depth and, mm -hmm. and you're now a social worker yourself. You work with children. You, you have now you got the clinical knowledge, so that's how you can better explain the, yeah. the, the points of where you were at. But you're 16 now, and you've this diary's been found detailing horrific sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. You're the, the head of the family for, for your yeah. siblings. You're looking after them. You've raised them. Where, where does that leave a 16-year-old? Like, imagine a police officer telling them that. Like it's, it's, it's disgusting now and they've yeah. walked away flippantly and never remember that they've ever said this. Yeah. But what did that, what a, was the, the outcome of all of that? I just felt really guilty and shamed like it's my fault. I've let my siblings down. Everybody hates me, you know, because this person's got away with it. Um. Now I know it wasn't my fault, but at the time I just felt horrific. My mum blamed me because I don't know what it was about this person, but she more wanted him put away at the time. Don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but he was taken by paramilitaries at the time 
arranged by my mother and someone else at the time and given a severe beating and I was made to listen to that tape of that beating. Um, what sort of, uh, I know and, <clears throat> and I want to be respectful, but what sort of mindset was your mother that she thought this was going to be healing for you? You know, I get, and you know what? I I don't condone well. I would condone violence in certain situations. A hundred percent. But just the sort of person I am, I know what I like to do. People like that, and a bullet would have been too easy for them. But was there any sort of now looking back? Is there any sort of comfort knowing that people know? People do know that this is they they knew that he done that. You know, in the court of opinion, he didn't he didn't get that if people thought he wasn't yeah. the but to a certain degree, I still feel angry that I haven't got any just, convictions. Yeah. And I'm going to say it here. One of the people is living with a woman and kids right now at this present moment in time. And that makes me angry as hell um, because, you know, he's not only abused me, he's abused other people within my family but yet he's living with a woman and kids and nothing is being done. And are you able, is there a position where you can inform the police or social well, services? I have, to I have but, but because there's no conviction. Yeah. And with that particular one, um, and I know I'm a wee bit all over the place here, so I reported again myself when I had my son. I had my son at 21 so it was around 21, 22 when I had him and this man was still around. And as a mother, I didn't want this man anywhere near. So, so just, I, and, and I know because I just want to clarify. And, and No, 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 don't, don't be sorry at all because I know for you, delving into this, it's, it's as we've already said, it's yeah. over the place. And for some people listening to this, just to clear up now. Yeah. When you're younger, the prolific, as a different abuser. Yeah. There was, when you were seven, that was a different abuser. Yeah. The one we were talking about with your sister and siblings was a separate one. Mm -hmm. But this person now we've moved on to speak about was in a position of trust. Yeah. Close, known to your family. Yep. And abused you. From age 12. From age 12. Mm -hmm. And is now, is this the person who received the beating? No. No, it was The person who received the beating was, was abusing th throughout Yes. My lifespan, but I'm afraid of giving names. No, and, and, and we don't want to. And, and uh, you know, I, I'd i love to out every single one of these. So would I, and, but and, I can't. No, and, and I get that. And and we don't know sometimes the ramifications of not of, of what comes out and what goes out. And, we, and you know what? People are going to know. So yeah. I'm happy enough that people yeah. will know. But... Just for to keep everything right, so this this person now, mm -hmm. I don't want to number them or thing, but say yeah. we're moving on tonight. This this person here we're discussing. This person was very close to the family, and had yeah. been abusing you over a period of years. Mm -hmm. They're now in a position of trust in another family, mm -hmm. yeah. and your fear is obviously for the children. Yeah, because this the this le lepers don't change their spots. These are predators, no. calculated, and that's one thing we want to say. One thing I've learned, which I, I never wanted to learn, but one thing maybe is appropriate in this is the, these people groom 
the family first and the people surrounding. Absolutely. Like the last person is the victim that's been groomed. Yeah, because they have to get themselves in that position of trust to do that. And they're well versed in grooming everyone around them, building that trust, you know, getting space alone with kids. Now, it's a wee bit different in my house because, you know, nobody was looking after the kids. And everybody, it was easier. Yeah, it was easier, but there is still an element of grooming everybody else around that child and that family. Even things like going to schools and meetings, they come across as this really current person that's looking after these kids and nobody suspects that they're doing anything. And sometimes, you know, because I had been abused before, you know, they'll be, oh, it's a disgrace and these abusers, but actually they're doing the same things. Yeah. And, you know, I actually recently seen another thing in the paper and the judge actually says, you have a standard operating you you yeah. you seek out families with an older woman that has children yeah. to betrust them, to put yourself in a position of trust. It's not like this is one-offs. And a yeah. lot of victims here will be like, that's the way that happened to me. And this is the way yeah. they spoke about other people when they, in fact, were the person that was perpetrating yeah. it. So it's not like you, you, you think. And then when you start speaking to other people yeah. and hearing our victims, you're like, yeah. that's the same. They, they have a very similar yeah. operating and a pattern. There's yeah. always a pattern to the abuse as well. You know, initially it starts out with, you know, these bribes. In my house it was threats because no one, I was afraid of my mum. So it would have been threats of, you know, if you tell anyone this is going to happen to you. Um, and that was a very real threat. Um, so I was more afraid, but they do things that's threats, like giving bribes or giving you things after going, well, sure, you know, I give you that and you wanted that, didn't you? Because I had given you this. <sighs> My brains went, see, trauma brain. <laughs> but that's all manipulation. It's all to manipulate you, to manipulate the family, to paint this picture of them being a good guy but or girl. Yeah. And it, and it does happen. Females can be the perpetrator yeah. as well. Yeah. But that's what predators do. And it doesn't yeah. matter where it's in the household. We spoke to other guests and it's mm -hmm. been in the church. Uh, the, yeah. A predator's a predator. They seek out vulnerable people. They gain the trust. Yeah. And then they commit these heinous acts. Yeah. And it, it just, it frustrates me so much. It just even you're saying about sitting down and, and I know I'm bringing back to sitting in front of the four policemen. And it's all right saying it was different at that time. It shouldn't have been any, any different. Yeah. It, it should have been set up to help you and to make sure. Like, I don't go and get a fucking chimney sweep till do my plumbing. The right yeah. people are doing the right job. Them yeah. four guys that were sitting there should never been doing that job. Yeah. Should never been set up to do it that way. And like the feelings that there is then, I just hope that you, you learn from your mistakes. Yeah. But to turn around afterwards and say that that was your fault in some way, that it, yeah. you never spoke up. Maybe you're leaving speaking to me about stuff that yeah. might be a wee bit, you know, she might want to go and speak to her mummy instead. She's my daughter. Yeah. And there's wee things she's like, okay, oh, and I'm like, Pat, you always talk to me, always yeah. say these yeah. things to me. So going and saying that to a complete stranger, it just angers me so much. So it does. Yeah. And at the time, even with that, and not the compensation means anything, but just to highlight how far it actually went in terms of putting the blame 
on a 16, 17 year old. So it came out at 16, but it was 17 by the time the court was coming through. All my siblings were put in for compensation, but I was told, well, you don't deserve any because you wouldn't go and <laughs> stand up in court. Now, compensation, and my siblings will tell you the same, it does not take away anything. And in fact, a lot of them just spent it and pissed it up the wall because it felt like dirty money to them, like they were being paid for what happened. And they all said that, but just to put that extra layer of blame on, you don't deserve so that that that's different for me there, and um, I suppose I'm asking you to comment on on your siblings' behalf. But to me, when I was listening, to that, I was like, was the compensation any sort of vindication? But it's not because you didn't get no the, that, and and that's probably a naivety on my point because I, I, and and I, we have feelings on this because we're not yeah. we're not first in this, so it probably I was like, like a compensation that shows that. The, the person was guilty yeah. where I'm the opposite but it, I'm the total opposite I'm like what are you putting a price in this are you putting a price yeah. on what being paid young, off yeah. yes where most of us want a conviction we mm-hmm. want someone to be held to account for what they've done you know because it makes you feel like and as my sister said it makes me feel like a prostitute like I've been paid for services rendered but we want convictions I'm sorry because that that and and that's the, this is just why I ask these questions. Sometimes I was like, all right, well then that should, but it's it's nearly a slap in the face. Then it's an insult. Yeah, it is an insult. Yeah. You know, we want justice. We want people to say they were guilty and were the victim. Yeah, where the feelings were there. But I have to ask you. Sometimes in these situations, I don't. I can never. Do, do you know? Was your mother aware of this? actively going on and buried her head or turned a blind eye I sometimes get angry we, we've had situations where the facilitator or the perpetrator sometimes I'd be every bit as angry with the facilitator you know that these situations were allowed to happen and I know I've come back to that because I don't want to I, you know it's a very complex and a mm-hmm. personal relationship with your mother and she's not here yeah. so I don't I, I don't want to push in that And but when that was happening and you're now 16, you're older, you're aware, that you, you've been to court now, you knew what was, you know what was happening to you. Yeah. And you're now aware, and you were always aware, but you, you're now older that, that people are saying this was wrong, what's happened. Did you at that point say, that happened to me, mum, that person done this? You know they done this? And this person, what did they say when they were asked? Did they admit the person, the, the yes, because that was the bit in the tape, the recording of the beating, of admitting that they had done it. Um, but it was always admitted, and it's used with quite a lot of the abusers. Oh, I was drinking at the time. <laughs> See, there there was times, and even in times when you were telling us, and you would say it was almost like you were given a reason for them mm-hmm. that uh, people could say whatever or there was drink or this is what and I was thinking that person's that person yeah they were that person that that yeah. evilness the level of evilness was yeah. there the drink allowed the situation yeah but it's like that's being accepted as an excuse you know I go out and have a drink I'm sure you do you don't go and abuse kids so for me that being used as an excuse Oh, drinking me. That's why it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Crap. Yeah. 
And it didn't just happen with alcohol. The first stages maybe happened with alcohol, but... It, it you, they premeditated this yeah, at, at, yeah. and that day I'm not accepting that at any point that the drink or whatever I'll tell you this to you one time so if, if I I'll tell you if you went out and took a drink and it made you twisted and angry and you people used to I used to hear ones going odd oh, you know sorry it was drink it makes me a bit twisted don't fucking drink yeah I don't accept that in any way no. as a but so then this happened it's been it's all so like no, and then you've been played this. You've been played this recording. What did that make you feel like when you were played the recording? Was there comfort or anger or, or or disbelief or? I felt guilty as well. I felt like I was to blame for this person being beaten because at the time I didn't understand. I was a kid. Thought this is my fault because we told this person has got this beaten, and I felt really guilty. You know, and I know that sounds mad now and it's mad when I think back. But I remember screaming and crying and feeling awful for this person, you know. Yeah, and, and I don't think that's that's mad because there's a lot of victims sometimes feel guilty when their perpetrator gets sentenced. Yeah. Yeah. So the, it's it's the level of what they've controlled them and and yeah, and, and got into their mind. Some people actually sometimes struggle to see the person being convicted. Yeah. You know, it's such a twisted yeah. mindset that because they've groomed them that much. And you know, in a, in a house where you haven't been shown love and care and and thing in yeah. such a warped, twisted way that someone comes along and they'd be nice, and then all of a sudden. Materializes yeah. they're not, you know, it, it's it's just it's so sad to see yeah. that, yeah. and obviously it's something that you and your siblings have all endured mm-hmm. on, on different levels, and each has a different yeah trauma and a different uh, way of coping. What happened then when you're sixteen? That that beating that happened. This person's gone now. Yeah, they got put out of the country. Out of the country. Yeah. And you, you have you know, any idea where they're on it? I just know in England somewhere. And the, you know what? You're right. These people haven't been convicted. There's no record of checking them. They can move in anywhere mm-hmm. and put and infiltrate themselves. And this is the behaviour of them again. And that's the yeah. that's the fear that they don't get. But that's not the last of this, isn't it? No. 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 So obviously, um, I told again after I had my son. I had my son at 21, so it was around 21, 22. Obviously, as a mother, now myself, this person was still in our lives within the family. And I just wanted to protect my child. I did not want him anywhere near my son at the time. So I went to Nexus and I disclosed because I was too afraid. Who's Nexus? That's um, the sexual trauma service in Northern Ireland Sorry, I didn't for all know. victims okay. and survivors of sexual abuse. It's the only one in Northern Ireland. Which oh. have recently got their funding pulled as well. Yes. Right. Yep. No funding at all for any child or young person in Northern Ireland for therapeutic support for sexual abuse. So this was an independent body that you could go to that would speak to the police on your behalf till... till well, it was a counselling session that yeah. I was having. I was having counselling at the time and I disclosed to her the name. And I knew full well when I said the name 
that David. Uh, right, just for clarity, right. This was a counselling service yeah. for people that have been victims yeah. of childhood sexual trauma. Yeah. Uh, and I'll move into the fun in a second, but the you had disclosed when you disclose to a counsellor mm-hmm. something that's illegal, they have an obligation yeah. to report that. If you give the name, yes. And you ha- you at this point were aware that once you said Yeah. So you'd obviously thought, you know what, I want to now reach out yeah. to somebody. So you had disclosed this, the counsellor had then contacted the police. For me, it was I wanted to protect my child. I didn't want him there, but I was too afraid to go to the police because of my experiences before. And I was too afraid to tell my mum. So I thought this would be an easier option for me and they'd take it out of my hands. Yeah. And it, it, it didn't turn out that way. No, the police come out and I remember it was a female police officer and she was involved in the case that didn't go to court before um, alongside the male police officer. Um, And she basically told me that this wouldn't go anywhere because of the previous stuff and that there was no point. Plus, at the time... Who was she to weigh that up? Because the job of deciding whether the case is the murder, now police will obviously know and they will say, look, we need more evidence. But the police don't, police don't convict people. So just to be clear in the the legal system, police charge people, present Mm -hmm. the evidence to the PPS, the PPS then decide if this is, if it's in the public interest, if it's achievable conviction, and then that's what happens. So on speaking to this police officer, Mm -hmm. And you've obviously have no trust nor faith in them. They've failed you on several occasions. They've told a 16-year-old that it was their fault when Sean rightly pointed out, no, their fault. They didn't secure a conviction of a detailed diary of a sexual abuser. That's Mm -hmm. their fault. And to hinge a case on a 16-year-old that has been unaware to them, that's been multiply abused on separate occasions, Mm -hmm. to hinge a case on that was on them. You know, so, obviously, when it was this person, you've just been deflated. You you thought you would get some, at some point, you would get help from these people. Yeah, and at the time, so this person admitted to my mum and an aunt that he did it, but said he was drunk at the time. And my mum at that time couldn't separate herself away from this person and said, refused to give a statement to that effect which made me quite angry. My siblings at the time were still at home and they were afraid to give any kind of evidence. So I was told because it was only me that they couldn't do anything and my mum wouldn't give a statement to say he had admitted this. Not just my mum, my mum and an aunt in my aunt's house admitted, you know, he was drunk and that's why it happened. This seems to be such an easy out that he was drunk. So this heinous act. You're a mother now. And your mind complete your mindset changes so much. So you yeah. now if what did you do? Did you disconnect from everyone? Did yeah. You? Yeah. Well, I was kinda ostracized a bit because you're told that's family business. You shouldn't be talking to people about that. 
um, at her being spat at in the street, called names, called a liar. Um, around that time, I actually attempted to take my own life, um, attempted to hang myself. Only um, my children's father um, and my partner at the time had come home looking for a wallet, which he never even carried a wallet, and caught me. Um, or else I would have been gone. I just couldn't cope because the amount of back flack that was coming from it. And at that time, I just felt, how many more times can this happen? Going to cry again. You know, how many more times are you not going to be believed? I can't take this anymore. Nobody is listening. My own mother is taking this person's side. And I was a mother myself at the time. So for me, I was going, I don't get it. I don't get it. And I was angry, angry as shit. And I tell people, you know, you get this, oh, you shouldn't be angry and you should forgive. To hell with that. It's all right to be angry. And I was angry, really, really angry at him. You know, found the courage to shout at my mum back you know, I did ask her, did what did she get for us? Was it a bottle of vodka? Because, you know, how does this keep happening? And at one point, I remembered my mum used to come into me and my sister's room looking for this person. <laughs> and I'm going, she had to have known. Why would you do that? Why would you come into the room looking for this person? If you didn't know, why would he be in our room? That has been in my mind as we've had this conversation that and I know this isn't this isn't something but had your mum been facilitating this not actively maybe not like progressively but if this was happening and, and it was repeatedly happening that at some point she 100% knew and 100% knew you're telling the truth but when you told the truth it wasn't them you were exposing Mm -hmm. It was her you were exposing. Because yeah. while you're telling the truth, the truth of the matter is that your mum, to everyone now, has failed you. Her going away and getting one of the abusers a beating makes her look the great person. And, oh, you know, she made a mistake, but she's now, she's looking revenge. Yeah. But this time, and the, we've seen you getting emotional. You've got emotional more the afterthought of the, the vindication, the, the belief, you know, the, speaking of the trauma we, we've detached from that happened. Yeah. But it's, why did, why was this allowed to happen to me? And and why, why the one person, once you become a mother, you realise the one person that should have stopped all this didn't. Yeah. And that's the harder thing at this. And that's, the, for me, it was the hardest thing to stomach in that. Is why the people that should have stepped in now, I know there's feelings in the system, the system's fucked and it's still fucked. And we talk about yeah. oh, it's different. It's still letting people down day yeah. in, day out. They're yeah. still unprofessional. Now, one thing I want to say is the officers. There's so, there, it's there's officers there and we that are so unprofessional and they shouldn't be in that job. And Sean's right, they shouldn't be. But they're also now we've come and spoke to someone that's been an angel to them. And 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 this changing and 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 they put the you know and and like fuck, fuck the police I don't have any great love them but some of the ones that are in that job now are the people the the compassion they have yeah. and that they're they they get so irate that they can't convict these yeah. people and and they're so frustrated but to me it's so so sad 
that yeah. that you were failed so many times and people will be like how did this and, and it's a wee yeah. bit because your trauma and it's oh it is complex it is complex how did you begin then once you you decided you wanted to go down this line and you, you know now the passion you want to protect people you want to help people is there because you didn't get that yeah when you were training for that did that open that would open a lot of because you first thing you have to work on is yourself and you started yeah. identifying them how was that when you started training for that and then becoming aware of all and things having to address them well, I had started working on myself. So after my mum passed in 2007, I had left school with no qualifications because I was told I would never amount to anything. I couldn't possibly be normal because all this awful stuff had happened. I'd obviously left school with no qualifications because I had no capacity to learn. I was built on surviving the situation I was in. So, you know... I was off the rails for years, you know, just struggling with mental health um, in toxic relationships. But when my mum passed in 2007, and obviously I got that validation from her, I just thought, you know what, life's too short. And on the same week, I actually met one of the perpetrators in town and I put my head down. And run the other direction because I was terrified and I was angry at the time because I thought he still has that power over me. Um, so I went and I started working on myself. Um, had to go back, obviously, from scratch, do GCSEs, the whole heap. Um, going to counselling at the same time and then I get into social work. Um, and the first job I got was working with young people with sexual trauma. And it horrified me that this was still going on. And I know from doing that job, see the numbers of being reported, it's way more than that. And these kids, you know, are still being let down. You know, there's not enough services out there. Kids are still being told. And parents being told, because this has happened to your child, their life's over. You know, they're damaged, but they're not. <laughs> they're not. Yes, it affects you. I'm not saying it doesn't. And not everybody needs or wants therapeutic support after, but many people do and they should be given it. You know, we aren't determined by someone else's actions or what they've done, you know, because I've been raped and abused from the age of four. That means I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm never going to achieve anything. My life's over. And people are given that message day in and day out but that is not the case if they are given the right support and I think when I work with young people that's one of my biggest passions because they do come in feeling well that's me now and you're going no that's not you you know and my mantra is they've taken enough of my life they're not getting any more who are they to say what you can and can't amount to but, simple as that yeah but that is I, I love I love that you're that light for others now because you know something when people are in an awful dark position and that and dark position it seems so stupid the way I say that but you can go on to have a happy life you can go on to have a happy safe family that you weren't provided you can yeah. go on to have love you can experience love with people proper love not yeah. you, you know and this is the thing 
you can go on and have education. Now, there's no possibility of an abused child being... Now, they, they, they do, yeah. but I mean, to have a mind to sit in a class, you, you, no, you you're, you're not even... You're, you're trying to, to, to survive, as you said, but to go back and to do that and to take back your power, take back your control. You were a victim and you were abused, but you haven't let that define the entire... And to say that to other people as that that think that they can define they define yeah. your life, it'll always be with you. Yeah. But you're now controlling where you're going from here. You know, yeah. you're helping people. You're you're back helping that wee child that they yeah. didn't help. Yeah. And you know, and in, in that to me there's 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 light for people. And there's people listening to this that haven't spoke out, who were victims, they haven't spoke to anyone and they they've allowed it and, and the, we know this because the suicide rate for people that have been victims of sexual assault is five or six times more. I, I, I'm not, I, and I'm yeah. not holding up, but I remember reading that, that. So we know that there's so many people think there's no future, and there's, but but there yeah. is. And you've went, and you've went the long road, and you went back to school, and you're doing it, and you're doing it yeah. now. And there must be a great sense when you're helping them people now. Letting them know that speaking to young children, not great, and uh, you know what I mean. Yeah. A reward, yeah. it must be rewarding to help people. It is. I wouldn't. I couldn't see myself doing any other job. Um, and when I first got in to social work, I didn't think I was going to work with children. I thought I was going to work with people with disabilities because that's what I did in my job. But then fell into that job and could just see these kids. You know. I remember kids crawling under, hiding under the chair. And I suppose it took me back to me being that wee small kid and working with them and seeing them come out the other side, you know, is something I can't even put into words. I think even with kids, because nobody tells them about the whole shit storm that comes out after you disclose when you sit and you're real with kids and, you know, I know there's a wee bit of mixed messages around should you share your stuff. And as a social worker, I'd have been told don't disclose too much. Now, I don't run about telling everybody everything that happened to me. But sometimes it's appropriate to let kids know you're not on your own here and you're not determined to this. It's not going into the details, but I get a wee bit of, I don't know all of your stuff and I don't understand all of what's happened to you, but I get it. Yeah. And for them, I think... Oh, we've had this in different situations when sometimes you're giving advice and people are like, what do you know? Yeah. And you're like, you'd be surprised what I know. And, and showing that bit of humility and I do understand. I'm not empathising with you. Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. So I do think that, that you know, and it's, it is amazing what you're doing because for so many it would be very triggering. And I'm sure sometimes it is triggering. You hear stories so similar and close to the bone. It's very triggering. And, and you know, I know I'd say you're being professional with them, but when you're going home, you have it. You have that. And it must be hard. How do you disconnect with and how do you do you peer support or what way do you deal with that? So obviously I have to be more aware because of my own experiences when I'm working with young people because you always have to be sure that you don't do any more harm to anyone else. So I have a clinical supervisor that I see um, 
with all my cases and we talk about things. So you're talking about cases of, you know, what's going on? Is that bringing anything up for you? What's going on there? So you're always getting into things because sometimes things do kind of align with your own stuff. As a counsellor as well, I have to have my own therapy. But before I trained as a counsellor and was doing social work, social workers don't get clinical supervision or counselling. I went and sought that myself because I was so fearful of something coming up and maybe doing more damage to a young person. So I have counselling every week and clinical supervision to make sure. I didn't know that uh, social workers don't get clinical supervision. No. No. So they're putting to send to, to speak to some of the people on the worst and they have no peer support in, in to look after them to have them no. process that when they go home. No. If Just so people know when the clinical supervision is it's it's more for you to disclose uh, with obviously someone's trained yeah. and, and for you to disclose your, your workload yeah. and how it's affecting you and, and, and yeah. more counseling session yeah. as as in, you know, am I is this right or, or yes. And, but you put that as a fail safe because you're, you know, there is bound to be times it comes in waves. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're out and you're helping, but then there's just the times with the, so much trauma you've experienced, you're just having lows. Yeah. And I know myself, you know, because I've done enough work on myself. So I know if I'm going through a period where something's happening, I'll give you an example over lockdown. So when lockdown happened, for want of a better word, I lost my shit. And I was working with sexual trauma at the time. And obviously lots of people weren't seeing kids. So there was a lot of pressure being put on. You know, we have to still see these kids. And I was saying, I'm not OK here. I'm not OK. And my clinical supervisor was, you need to take time off from work. So I had to take eight months out. But that's because when lockdown happened, you were being re-triggered. So again, I was put back in that position of having no power, feeling trapped um, and isolated from everyone and then the masks you know for me was that being pushed into a mattress and not being able to breathe so it, it was bringing up huge things the whole trust thing who could you trust because someone might have covid everybody's keeping distance so it brought up mountains of stuff for me and I had to come out of work for eight months and I had to do intense therapy I actually asked for mental health support at the time I rang the GP. This is another bugbear of mine. And I know it's just the way it is because there's no funding, there's no services. And I was told if I didn't take medication that I was refusing a treatment plan. But as I said to the GP, if I take medication, yes, medication works for some people. But dissociation and avoidance has been my thing. And if I take medication, I'm going to be avoiding. And I don't want to do that. I want to work in this. Do you know I'm still waiting on that waiting list for support from COVID. Four years. Yeah. Now, lucky enough, I can pay for my own therapy now, but I'm still waiting. Everywhere you've went, you've been failed. If what what is what is the future plan then now for you? What is uh, to continue? Obviously, with your social work, You're, are you doing any social media work? And, and this. So I have um, been doing, um, I did set up a charity previously with a couple of other girls um, to support children and young people impacted by sexual trauma, but I'm not part of that anymore. So I'm working as an independent therapist, but I also work with Monkstown Boxing Club who are amazing and do so much in the community 
for young people. So I provide one-to-one therapeutic support and that includes young people impacted by sexual abuse and sexual trauma. Um, I do not time limit my service because, again, some of the services that are out there are 6 to 12 sessions. And I'm telling you now, that is not enough for anyone who's been impacted by any kind of trauma or sexual trauma. It's not enough. You haven't even built trust. So young people are going to end getting 6, 12 sessions and then being told, oh, we can't open you up because, you know, we only have so many sessions. So then again, they're getting that message. God, I'm so messed up. Even the professionals can't work with me. So I'm a very strict when I get referrals from social services that I am not doing 6 to 12 sessions. It's for as long as a young person needs it. Now, that comes with complications because obviously, you know, there's only so much funding and they're going to go with a person who can give them six to 12 sessions at a smaller cost. But that doesn't work because you're getting the revolving door. People in and out of services because no more is going in depth. Now, the boxing club I work with, they offer long term, however long a young person needs it. And that's funded by the lottery. Um. And young people do not want to come in and see me. Like They don't want to come in and sit with me for an hour a week. But they're coming, they're showing up every week. And they will only come for as long as you need it. And see, when you give people the support, the proper in-depth support they need, they don't come back. They might come back for a top-up. And I leave an open door as well. So if someone's engaged with me before, even in my previous job with the charity that is no longer providing that service I still allow those young people to come back to me because when they reach different developmental milestones or you know become a parent themselves things start to come up again which is normal so I give that open door policy recognizing this can happen and you touched on it and Sean said it I didn't I wasn't aware of this there's no funding no All funding has been pulled for children and young people in Northern Ireland. There is currently nothing. Nexus were providing that, but they lost their funding. So we're raising awareness with all these campaigns going on, you know, around child sexual exploitation, telling people to come forward. But no, no, no plan in place for them? No safety net after. And trust me, see, whenever you disclose, the shit hits the fan. Basically, I that's only the start. Yeah, you've only opened the door, but Pandora's box, as as they say, you've let's say only started addressing. Yeah, and there's no plan in place. Well, you've reached out. The the health service can't handle it. The mental health services are stretched to the absolute limit. So, the the there's no plan in place in this country. But that's not to say to people there that that's listening that. Not to reach out. No. Not to. The the start of healing is a journey and it's a long journey. Yeah. But to speak to somebody, to yeah. talk to somebody. Yeah. If you were to give advice to somebody right now that is turmoil and, and, and they've been through that and they're sitting yeah. at home, we ended up, what would be your advice to them? I would always say tell someone, someone that you trust or feel safe with. And if people don't listen... Just keep telling, keep speaking out because these people need to be held 
to account and it's not right what's happening to them. They just need to keep speaking out. Yeah. Well, look, Michelle, I want to thank you because I, the courage that I'm so, so angry inside for that wee four-year-old that nobody stepped in to protect and look after and just take you and your siblings out a lot. The feelings... But I'm also mindful that that's not going to be your legacy. That you're going to go on and you're going to help people. And you're going to help people that you won't hear from again, but you won't know the impact that you've had. People are listening to this. I know it's been quite complex and, and we couldn't say names, so it was very hard. Yeah. But people need to understand it is complex. So to keep a a, a timeline, and mm-hmm. it's not like that. And mm-hmm. that's not the way your memories have presented themselves. So we we've... You know, I, I I just want to thank you for coming on. It can't be easy, but it will help people. And can I just say about a bit why I agreed to come on here? So I did have a young person that approached me who had heard other stories on the podcast and in the media in terms of convictions. And she was, you know, our voices are never heard. We're silenced for years about the abuse and then we're silenced again because of the legal system. And, I, you know, I get innocent until proven guilty, but then you're silenced again and no one is ever being allowed to represent the massive, you know, numbers that aren't getting convictions because it is only small numbers. And that young person asked me, would I go and do this to give a voice to those who haven't had a conviction? And our society wants to stay away from things that they're not comfortable with. Yeah. Like, it, it's so hard for me and Sean as parents to sit and listen. As, not as just as parents, just as an, a decent person. Anyone yeah. sitting and listening to this is for it's, it When you, you, there was a line you delivered and I could feel my stomach turning when you'd said, I was raped, I was for it, my stomach, and my, and, and, but this is happening. And this turning our eye and sweeping it on the carpet and not putting it in the media yeah. and not telling the story, mm-hmm. it doesn't help. It's, it's, it, we need to address. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm so thankful well, for you coming on. Can I just say, of course, as I say, you know, for people, nobody, as you say, likes to hear this. You know, people like to read nice stories and all of that. And I find sometimes things in relation to sexual abuse and rape are kind of tidied up a wee bit to make it more bearable for other people. But the fact is, there's kids enduring this day and daily and nobody is sugarcoating it for them. They are living the reality of that. So I always think, why should children suffer what most adults don't even want to listen to or hear? Absolutely correct. You're absolutely right. And and that is a key driving force for us to have it. But it... It's not an easy listen. It's hard, but it 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 is. It's going to help so many people. So I just want to thank you. But just as you say, giving people a voice that aren't fit to go yeah. and speak out, I think that's that's the message I want to deliver, especially on this podcast here now. That if you are going through this, go and speak to somebody. As you say, somebody yeah. who you trust. Yeah. And if you're not getting anywhere, go and speak to somebody yeah. else, and keep speaking until you get that person yeah. who is going to go above and beyond to help you. And times are changing. People are listening now. It's not like when I was young back in the day where it was very much swept under the carpet. 
things are better now. So I don't want that to put people off, you know, do come forward. And, you know, I work with three people at a time, free of charge, who can't access services. And there is other people I know for a fact out there doing that as well. So if you can't afford therapy or something, reach out and ask because there are people who are offering either reduced fees or, you know, pro bono support. And if people did want to get in contact, even with yourself, are you happy enough for them to reach out to you? Absolutely. And how would they do that? They can get me. So I have a website, which is creativehealingni.co.uk or else I'm on Facebook or Instagram, but my phone number and email is all on there. Well, we're going to include it in the description yeah. in this as well, okay. if you're comfortable with that. Yeah. And it, it you know, it is. And if, even if you get Neanderthals like me starting to learn things and, you know, na- I'm naive, but I'm starting to learn things. It's important for us to get that out there so everyone learns and we can yeah. we can protect these children and look after it because that is the, the key thing at the end of the day is to protect the children. Yeah. But uh, thank you very much. Michelle. Michelle, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.